0: From the New York offices of Oxford University Press, this is The Oxford Comment, a monthly podcast featuring insights from Oxford University Press authors, editors, and more. My name is Sarah, multimedia producer and your host for this episode. I've been looking forward to sharing this episode with you for a while. I was approached about the topic back in June, about putting together an episode that explores the importance and impact of teaching music to students with special needs in the U.S. Um, Do you know who else we're we're waiting on? That's me in a group call with music educator, author, and clinician Alice Hamill and four teachers and parents who all took some time out of their schedules for a conversation about music and special education. I'll let them introduce themselves.
1: Hi, my name is Alice Hamill. So I'm a music teacher, and I'm very happy to be here.
2: My name is Carmen Ross, my daughter Clementine Ross, is a second grade student at ps84 and uh, taylor walkup is her wonderful music teacher she's on the line as well Yes,
3: so i'm taylor walkup and i am the early childhood music teacher at ps84 and i get to teach clementine
4: my name is adam goldberg um i teach music at ps177 in queens um jason horton is one of my band member students i direct the band and i I am a coverage teacher also, so I have many classes for music.
5: Yes, my name is Jason Heron-Horton, and my son Jason Horton attends PS 177, and I'm so proud of him, and I'm so proud of Mr. Goldberg.
4: He has been doing an excellent job for the students.
0: I kicked off the discussion by asking about the current landscape in this particular field.
4: Although I have so many, you know, success stories, Jason has uh, been... Just a real gift for me to be able to teach and I've had many successes with Jason um, Jason even to this day some of the some of the people in my school some of the other teachers um, are very surprised when Jason stands up on stage and, and sings <laughs> because he's um, he's very quiet. Um, Although I can't say he's nonverbal, he's you know he he's more echolalic usually, so he won't initiate a lot of speech on his own. And and he's come a long way with that, I think, in part certainly because of the music and his experiences singing. Um, he's become more more expressive and more able to speak up for himself.
1: Yeah, Adam, I I, I agree. Um... Research tells us that music is the only thing in the whole world that can reach all of the hemispheres, all of the parts of the brain at the same time. And when we teach students who have differences in learning and who don't learn in a way that maybe a lot of other students learn, um, music can can really reach kids on, on an elemental level in their brain where other things don't. And I get so excited when I have my Jason. You know, and when you see that moment, you see that, that music reached a student and the student is really grasping something and becoming kind of their own person through music, I think it, it, mm. it makes everything we do worth it. Um, so, Ms. Houghton is Houghton, what do you see with Jason and music as his mother?
5: As a mother, you know, Jason has come a long way. Music is his life. Jason, when he sings, It's it's like he's a totally different person. You would not believe it's the same child. He put everything into his music, and I can see that music had helped him a lot. Uh, Wonderful.
3: Taylor, could you talk maybe some about what you see at your school? Yes, so um, I work in a slightly different setting than um, Adam does in which our children are included and in full inclusion classes Either through an um, a nest program for children with autism, or through our integrated co-teaching classes with other children um, with special needs. And so, as we as we look at as music teachers and providing, you know, exceptional experiences for all of our children and bringing them into the conversation and helping them to self-regulate and to socialize and to be able to really participate. And and as Adam about and giving them their voice and a new outlet for them to express themselves. And Ms. Ross,
1: what do you see in Clementine and what she loves about music?
2: I think Clementine self defines as being a bit different from other kids and is a child who has gifts in some areas and real challenges in others. So she's one of these kids that has an uneven cognition. And so when we... Um, can see an area where she can excel and express herself, it's really dear, um, because it gives her confidence in a sense, not from my perspective, but her, from her own perspective, a relevance, almost like um, a place to for her to fit into, a, a, a narrative for her to fit into. So she is um, a really uh, competent visual artist, and she's got this capacity for music, which we didn't really fully recognize. Um, until Miss Walkup brought it to our attention, songs that we would choose, perhaps on a family trip in the car or playing in the house, if they uh, if they overwhelmed her, perhaps because she loved them so much, or they were a genre of music she she wasn't entirely familiar with, she would just shut everything down. So we weren't really finding a way to reach her musically because we just thought everything kind of felt like noise to her. And by working with Ms. Walkup, we started to understand that it's actually a language that she was receiving and also competently processing and expressing herself and just put more patience into finding the music that would speak to her. Um, But our hope, you know, in a humble way, is that this this capacity and this language that she can have can make her um, plug in socially in a way that's not so easy for her just walking up to a kid on the playground and saying, hey, you know, you want to go on the seesaw? She's not great at that. But um, music is a shared medium, and it's magical. So yes. how how do you, Adam, um, in
1: high school, how do you kind of equalize those sensory issues? You know, when children become overwhelmed with the sound or the sight or the smell or other things?
4: Uh, yeah, so that's a great question, and some some other teachers in the school are sometimes a little hesitant about me coming in to do music and they'll warn me about a student. And, you know, to be honest, maybe I'm just really lucky, but I have very, very rarely experienced that, you know, that over uh, overload of sensory, uh, certainly at least with with music or, or with sound. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with, um, as was just referred to, uh, allowing the student to have a voice and allowing the student to participate in the creation of the sound. So, I, and I think, in a sense, we're all the same. That you know, we're we're not quite aware when we're playing something and we're we're really into it. We don't realize that maybe someone else is just listening. Well, maybe. You know, it's it's not exactly what they want to hear right now.
1: Taylor, what have you found in an early childhood situation?
3: So in early childhood, um, I do, you know, because I work with um, all children in full inclusion classrooms, and so our music instruction, our goals are the same for everyone, but the points of access. So the modalities in which they're learning um, through maybe the size of manipulatives that we're using, or color, or... Maybe, you know, I have one child who uses a puppet. But that's his safety to use his singing voice. So I'm finding those access points and then also knowing that my music room is set up just like our special education classroom. So I have a break area. I have those points where, you know, sometimes they have so many feelings that they can't get out and they need to just take a break to go through and process and, and soak in the sensory um, and then rejoin the group. And so I think it's continually finding and, and looking at the children based on where they're at and how they're coming into the music classroom and working on that individual level to really continue um, bringing them in and helping them to regulate the different sounds, different smells, mm-hmm. different textures. Yeah. Um,
1: Ms. Houghton, what was Jason's music like before Mr. Goldberg was his
5: teacher? You know, with, with Jason, he, he always loved music. When he was a baby, he would even take out my pats and pants and it would bang and bang. But there there's certain <laughs> sounds sound that he didn't like. He, it, My husband loved reggae music, and Jason is into that sound. He always sits, even right now, he's right on his, go to YouTube and get all those reggae music, and he would listen to that.
4: I, yeah. If you don't mind, my, uh, just continuing on the idea of sensory um, with something that I experienced with Jason, um, <laughs> certainly he loved to uh, even, I, I think I started working with Jason way back when he was about nine or so, and the first time I saw him play, just play some notes on the keyboard, I noticed, wow, Jason really knows how to hear. He knows, he. I mean, he was really playing chords. And yet he would only play them very very short little staccato notes and and then kind of uh, uh, bring his hand away really fast and so in working with him over the years, I realized that he does have a tactile sensitivity because um with technology you can you can adjust the uh the sensitivity of touch, so I very gradually made the sensitivity um you know uh requiring made it require a stronger and stronger touch so because jason was so musical you know his his ear and desire to create music took over and as i would gradually notched down the level of of sensitivity jason would would learn to make the adjustment and and play harder and harder as as was required so over a period of of maybe two years or so we, we really made a huge uh, Dent in in that sensitivity issue that he had yeah. through just <laughs> through the, the supports of technology.
1: Yeah, Miss um, Ross. Yes. Yeah, Clovantine is a twin, right? Yes, she is. <clears throat> yeah, and so with the twins, is there a difference in the way um, they respond to music, or are affected by music, or does music? Yeah. Is music a place where they join together?
2: Her twin is a boy, and they both um, have capacity and interest for music and they do approach it very differently. It's so funny that um, my, the other speaker talked about reggae music because my boy is, like I am, very drawn to percussion and bass and I adore reggae and he too, anything that's got a fat beat on it, he's all, he's all over. Evo is actually more um, challenged than she is in terms of speech and language far more, Clementine's far more verbally articulate, and he's much more disorganized and more echolalic, um, as we mentioned the other child on the interview, and uh, so he, he seems to have a whole rhythm, I guess that's, that's what's coming out, a rhythm and a pace that maybe, you know, makes me think of some of the echolalia may, in fact, be an internal rhythm that's coming out because he doesn't have the full suite of language available to him as an eight-and-a-half-year-old. Clementine mm-hmm. is more con- controlled. She's more of a perfectionist. And so she gets really stressed out when she has to play a song the first time. I don't know what Miss Walkup sees in class.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> she likes things really ordered and perfect and does not want to mess yeah. it up.
0: I was I wanted to follow this line a little more about uh, technology um, and what, what you guys use in the classroom.
4: I mean, I happen to have really found uh, a really uh, great, uh, niche or support system in in the iPad <clears throat> and and the incredible uh, plethora of music making apps that that are out there. So so that's the main way that that I use technology. I, I provide um, I, I like to call it a universally designed music making environment just by. Um, Differentiating and and modifying different apps and choosing the right kinds of apps for for each student. But you know, even even before the iPad, I I was learning a, a program called Logic Pro, and Logic Pro is just like the advanced version of GarageBand. So um, whether it's GarageBand or the the iPads or so many. Different ways that I can use the computer and the smart board, and all kinds of alternative musical instruments now that are coming out more and more, just just to help the student find a way. Even students that uh, have very very limited mobility can actually become music makers via technology. Mm-hmm. And
3: Taylor
1: and I had a great time in Nashville in October. <laughs> And um, Adam did a session about iPads, and um, Taylor had to leave the conference the next day, but she sent a picture to us from her classroom. So Taylor, tell us about that picture. Yes. So
3: um, I, I got to see Adam and went back to school the next day and got my iPad and downloaded um, an app called Bloom. And I ah. that that day I I pulled three of uh, my children with special needs who learn differently and um, they came and had lunch with me we blew them out and we started um, to use it and
0: to start
3: mm. bringing in another access point for them that was missing before and in the picture I have the, I only have one iPad right now and I have three children hovering over it trying to hear it and we put it on the smart board so they could see it and it was it was it was really just amazing to see how something like that, something that we had never accessed before, brought them even further into the conversation.
4: Oh wow! Yes, I would so love thank to you, see Adam, that. I'd love us. to see that picture. <laughs>
3: I will send it to you. That you know, thank you. It's it's so valuable as we get to um, meet all together and see everyone's strengths and what they're using in their classroom because that that moment made such a difference for some of my guys.
4: Yeah. And I think so
3: yeah. too that he, we often feel
1: isolated as music teachers. Um mm-hmm. you know, Adam's lucky to have three in his school, you know, and sometimes there's just one or two and yeah. we don't get to really see each other often and we really don't get to talk to each other very often and share ideas. Mm-hmm. Um that's what's really exciting when we get to go to conferences and listen to everybody and and what they're doing.
0: I was just thinking about um the idea of like teaching a group of students versus one-on-one time, and maybe if you guys wanted to talk about that a little bit. For so the little ones, and I, I usually have um, an average class size of
3: anywhere from 12 to 26 in a class. So um, my smallest class sizes are 12, and those are my nest classes. So the, the setup of that class is um, four children with autism, and then the rest of the children in that classroom are selected as kind of their, their social peer models and behavioral support. And then in my other classes, it tends to be closer to 20 to 25. So I'm looking at a, a pretty large size classes. Um, and I think for the, the younger ones, it's really how, how we are taking the overall objective for all children and then... Changing it and altering and modifying so that the lev- the individual levels are also being met and that may be my um, Maybe by the manipulatives that we're using maybe there's something that Maybe there's a song that uses a puppet for one child because they need that security and maybe another child Has a folder that has a visual of the actual icon of the lyrics and while the rest of the children who are engaged in the class are still doing what they choose. So it comes down to just being able to look at the whole group and where the expectations are, and then providing those additional access points.
4: That sounds great. <laughs> Taylor, I, I can't uh, imagine having uh, a class of 26. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm, and again, maybe I'm lucky. And sure, there's class sizes that are much larger than that even. But yeah. um, well, and, and partially, you know, in all fairness, because of the of the severity of of my students' challenges, we have classes of either six, eight, or twelve. Mm-hmm. Um, so so for me, um, every time I go into a a room for the first time in the year, I'm looking at at a music ensemble for the first time. My student band is is a is a group of students that I handpick as. You know, pretty much the most talented students. But when I go into a classroom, um, you know, we, we're we're dealing with uh, students who you know may not even want to move, or may have uh, motor uh, and other physical challenges that make make it very difficult for them to to want to move or express themselves in in any way. And I need to find a way to try at least to reach each student um, so but uh, the community of students in each room is an individual community so we we work in. however I need to meet the needs of each student I, I'm focusing on that but also focusing on the community
1: It's all about culture and establishing a culture of who, who are we and both Taylor and Adam shared the Kind of the same thing, you know. You you develop a culture. We are music makers, and you know, with with Taylor and the beautiful idea of nesting, and you know, having students there who are there to support and be a part with students, young students who have autism. So I think it's about you know, who who are we when we come in this room, and and what do we do? And I think one thing I think that can't be overstated is that if every child every day
0: is supported and challenged mm-hmm. in school, we will be successful. Alice brought up something encouraging. Congress recently passed legislation concerning music in the curriculum. Last week,
1: um, Congress passed a new act called the Every Student Succeeds Act, and one really awesome thing in it is that music is listed specifically, standalone as a part of the core curriculum, um, so that music then would be considered as important as any other subject that students study in school, and. I'm wondering, thinking, what would music be like, do you think, Adam, for Jason and students like him? I mean, what would life be like if music were not included in their school or if you weren't there to be their teacher?
4: I just think there would be a huge hole in in their lives. Um, Everything I said about Jason and how I was able to – how it's not really music, music – how music is able to help him you know, com- come out and be more comfortable. Music is an in- incredibly deep uh, well of-, of expressive resource <laughs> and mm-hmm. an a- and a- emotional outlet. And so where are any of us wi- without that? And I'm sure we've all had experiences, even just listening to music, where all of a sudden we hear something that just touches us deeply, you know, and even more so if we're playing music.
1: Taylor, what what is your opinion on
3: that? Every feedback and the importance of music yes. education for students with different I mean I completely agree with Adam and you know, it goes back to Carmen talking about how for Clementine it gives her her voice, it helps her, you know, rather than maybe it's challenging for her to walk up to another child on the playground, but in music it's another medium where they're all exploring together and if that were taken away from them, if they hadn't had those opportunities and that would be an entire part of just the child as a, as a human and of all of us that we wouldn't be able to express anymore. And so the importance of music, and it, it's unimaginable what it would be like without without it.
1: Mm. Ms. Houghton, what do you think about the, the value of music in Jason's life?
5: I agree totally with Mr. Goldberg. It, it's an outlet for Jason. Jason can express himself fully with music. For example, if we have a party and there's music, he would go and he would put on the type of music that he know everybody will like. He can do whatever he wants to do when he comes on, when it comes to music. So that's his outlet. That's how he expresses himself, and that's the only way he knows how to. Yeah, Ms. Ross, you ready to
2: add? I feel that there's an element. Uh, there's a combination of both capacity and genius in music, and also a a sense of mystery in that, you know, we're we're constantly hearing new research about the effects of music on the brain, and music's been around a very long time, and I think that this mirrors what the autism spectrum is like, that there are children with a whole um, set of um, uneven capacities, uh, cognition, perception, sensory, and, and otherwise, that it's not fully understood. We're on a journey, and I, mm-hmm. there's something about the mystery um, and the and the opportunity for innovation in both and and the exploration of how um, the compositions interact with the brain, and then the collective experience of all of us taking the music in. I think that there, we have to humbly honor that and give space inside a curriculum, and to know that that area for innovation and exploration and real human achievement needs to be taken very seriously. The most, the most
1: important thing that I think about, especially what Adam said in talking about Jason again, is it's not necessarily having more knowledges or knowing more things. It's knowing in your own self that what you have to say is worth saying. And mm. many students with disabilities don't feel that. And I think you exactly. have music, it's another way to say, I have value, this, mm-hmm. is, this is what I can do. And I often teach, tell teachers, um, I say, every single person in this room can do something better than everyone else. Mm-hmm. And we all know what our thing is, what we do. And I think when we look at students who learn differently and have difficulty accessing the curriculum, it's our job as teachers to look at that child, to look at that Jason, to look at that Clementine and say, okay, what can this child do better than anyone else in the room? And then help them develop that so that they can have that as their own personhood and in their, their own self. And then I think we will have done our job. And the importance of music is to have that way for a child.
4: Absolutely. Yes. And so often it is music or something in the art. You know, uh, that and that's something that we, well, yeah. like you just said, Alice, so wonderfully, that's mm-hmm. something that we must have, and we must have that opportunity for every student.
0: I'm going to wrap up with a part of the conversation that focused on how far education has come and with some words of wisdom.
3: As a new teacher, it's also looking at, you know, what challenges are facing us as educators and working with children who learn differently because I'm very fortunate to work in a school where I have so much support and have been able to build such relationships with the other special educators in the building with our speech therapist with our occupational therapist and that collective conversation I think has been really defining in the successes that we're seeing in our children in music because it's a team and it's it's what's helping to get our kids to find their voice in music
4: Mm -hmm. and
1: Adam I'm on year 31 what year are you on
4: (laughs) oh you have me beat Alice I'm only on (laughs) 21
1: (laughs) tell me do you do you think that you are viewed um within your school and your schools now as and is music viewed as being important and did you feel that when you started 21 years ago has there been a change in the perception of the importance of music education
4: I think overall we still have a long way to go. What was mentioned before about um, the ESSA finally including music, that's a, a good indication that we may be taking a step in the right direction. Um, I'm not quite as uh, enthused or convinced yet uh, about the, the, uh, the, the validity of that. but I, And I think it, it's going to take the music teachers, but all educators. to to come along and and to realize that. For me, in my school, I I just was very lucky. I I walked into this school one day with my resume, and I was hired shortly after that. And they've always had, we've always had, um, three music teachers and three art teachers for a population now of about 500 students. So fortunately, in my my environment, Music has always been seen as valuable, and you know, I think in a sense, when you see how how uh, students with special needs respond to music, it becomes more clear. It's it's easier to see this, you know, because it's it's um, it's not unusual at all to see a student really brighten up and kind of bring their true selves out and be able to express themselves when they're in a music-making environment.
1: I, I agree um, from 31 years of perspective. Um, hmm. we, we are doing a better job, I hmm. think, than we were 30 years ago um, at considering the needs of all children, no matter how difficult it is for them to access music. And I, I think it probably is going to take, I usually tell my students, two, probably two generations of teachers. Um, to really have everybody understanding not only is this, this something you should do, it is something you must do. Mm-hmm. And then how important it is for not only the students who have differences, but for all students. Mm-hmm. I think it's a place where we can start and realize that we're just, we're all people and that mm-hmm. everybody's perspective should be honored and everybody's personhood and everybody's answers matter everybody's sounds and compositions and voice, literally voice, matters. That mm. mm. you know, and, and I know I'll be the oldest dreamer in the world. That's what I hope to be <laughs> when I grow up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but if, if, we, if we can just keep, keep doing, keep doing that and saying that with, with our students and showing the incredible power music has to change lives, to change everyone's lives, not just students um, with disabilities, but, but everyone. With your years of experience, Adam, do you have any advice or words of wisdom for Taylor, a young teacher working with kids who are different?
4: So I, I think you really already have it and are on the right track. But what what I have found is that it's it's what I'm doing outside of the classroom <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that that makes that makes that gives more and more value to what I can bring in. To the classroom and to the school mm-hmm. every day, and to each one of my students. So, you know, whether, whether it's um, learning some new technology or surfing mm-hmm. on on the net and seeing some cool things that other people are doing, whether it's other mm-hmm. music teachers or even professional musicians, and some would someone would think, well, we're not going to have our kids do that. This, <laughs> these are professionals that do that. Yeah. But there's if you're if you're always thinking with that. Um, with that child's mind, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and, and with, the, with the focus on the student, you, mm-hmm. you're, you're always going to find something in whatever your experience and you're gonna, something's going to click and you're going to say, wow, this is something that I can do with my students or that I can mm-hmm. modify and then bring to my students.
1: Yes, yeah. <laughs> I very much I appreciate thought. those words. Um, Mrs. Houghton? What what advice do you have for teachers who teach students like Jason? What can we
5: do better? I don't really know much, but as for Mr. Goldberg, I can say he's doing a fantastic job. And, you know, just give the children what they like, especially when they, you know, music is what they want. I think they should get what they want.
1: Taylor, I'm so old. Um, what what advice do you have for me?
3: Um, and, I, and, you know, Alice and Adam, I've been very fortunate to get to learn from both of you now and I think continuing to just share your not only knowledge but the enthusiasm as teachers who have been in the field for 20, 30 years, keeping that energy alive and continuing to inspire and bringing, um, you know, new ideas, um, sharing advice with, with new teachers who are just getting our feet wet and, um, just continuing all of finding your inspiration in music and not letting it, not letting it end.
0: Many thank yous to everyone on that phone call, Alice, Taylor, Adam, Ms. Ross and Mrs. Houghton. Just as a heads up, Alice Hamill is the co-author of Teaching Music to Students with Special Needs, Teaching Music to Students with Autism, and co-editor of the upcoming Winding It Back, Teaching to Individual Differences in Music Classroom and Individual Settings. And Taylor is listed as a contributor. And thank you for listening. You can find more episodes of the Oxford Comment on SoundCloud, iTunes, and as always, on the OUP blog. Till next time, friends.